Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Scripture reading this morning will be Luke 19 verses 1 through 10. If you're using the Luke Q Bibles, you will find Luke 19 on page 878. We're picking up our study of Luke's Gospel right where we left it off before our brief series on the, the five solas of the Reformation. And I know that for some of you this may come as a surprise. It is, after all, the first Sunday of Advent. You may have expected us to be in a more traditional Advent passage this morning. Maybe the, the first chapters of, of Matthew or Luke or, or maybe one of the, the prophecies of Isaiah or, or Zechariah. And I have to say, I understand that expectation and I actually consider a, a more traditional Advent series. But in the end, I decided to return to Luke's Gospel right where we left off because I believe that the passages that are before us in Luke chapter 19 are most fitting for the Advent season. These passages, the, the passages we will be looking at over the course of the next several weeks, are, are fitting for the Advent season because they help us to understand the reason for Jesus' first coming and how we are to live as we wait for Him to come again. This morning we begin with the story of Jesus' encounter with a man named Zacchaeus. A story that teaches us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Let us read it together. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. This is the very word of God. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is the reading of God's Word. Let's pray and ask for His blessing upon the preaching of the Word here this morning. Father God, we do ask that Your Spirit would be here, would be active, would be at work, opening our minds and our hearts to receive Your Word, that it might put down roots and that it might bring forth fruit. To the praise of your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, this is the time of year when we begin to look forward to the celebration of Jesus' birth. A birth announced by angels 
A birth proclaimed to be good news of great joy for all people. But why was Jesus' birth good news? Why does His birth mean great joy for all people? Think about that for a moment. During this season of the year, you may have opportunity to to talk to your neighbors and to your co-workers about Christmas, about the, the reason for the season, as we say. What will you say? How would you explain to them the good news of Christmas? I want to suggest to you that Jesus himself gives us an answer to that question in verse 10. Look again at what Jesus says. He says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There's your answer. That is why Jesus came, and that is why His birth is good news. His birth was was hailed as good news of great joy for all people, because He came to seek and to save the lost. And I want us to try to understand what that means in, in some depth this morning. And we'll begin by simply asking who are the lost. Who are the lost whom Jesus came to save? Not to tell you, as someone who is directionally challenged, I have quite a bit of experience with being lost. I often find myself driving around not knowing where I am or how to get where I want to be. This is why I was so thankful when I finally got GPS on my phone, because I could I could finally tell it where I wanted to go and it could Get me there. But I I have had many experiences of, of being lost, many experiences of not knowing where I am, and not knowing how to get where I want to go. And that is Zacchaeus. He is the picture of what it means to be lost in this text. Consider for a moment what we know about him. Look at what Luke tells us. He tells us that he is a chief tax collector and that he is rich. So first, he's a, he's a tax collector. And it was not without reason that tax collectors were despised in Jesus' day. It's not only because no one likes to pay taxes. That is, of course, true. You don't, you don't like the tax collector because you don't like to pay taxes. But there was more going on in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, tax collectors were despised for far more substantial reasons. The first reason that tax collectors were despised is the, the method of tax collection. Tax collectors made their money by extortion. They, they made their money by stealing. They would buy the rights to collect the taxes in a certain region, and then they would collect as much as they could, pay what they had to to Rome, and keep the rest for themselves. They were something like organized crime. They were, they were something like the mob. They would come to your business. They would offer to protect you for a fee. And they, they collected as much as they could. They took as much of what was yours for themselves as they could without destabilizing the community. And so tax collectors were were hated. They were despised as thieves. And Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector. He is the chief tax collector. He's something like the godfather. He's the, he's the head of the cartel. And so he is despised above all. But there's another reason that tax collectors were despised. It's not only that they were thieves, they were also traitors. After all, they were collecting taxes for Rome. They were working for the the foreign power that was oppressing the people of God. They were working for the ones who, who were holding God's people in bondage. They had betrayed their people and sided with the enemy. And so not only were they thieves, but they were traitors. 
And it's no wonder then that they were seen as the very epitome of what it means to be a sinner. And this is who Zacchaeus was. He was a chief tax collector. But we're also told that he was rich. Now, no doubt that was the result of his tax collecting. Tax collectors tended to be rich. But the fact is important, especially in this context, for another reason. Think about what Jesus has already said in in this context about the rich. Just think back to what we saw in Luke chapter 18. Jesus has just had a conversation with a rich young ruler. And at the end of this conversation, the rich young ruler walks away from Jesus sad. Because he is not willing to walk away from his money. And as Jesus sees him walk away, he says this. He says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. We considered those passages several weeks ago, but but think about what Jesus is saying. He is saying that wealth makes it humanly impossible for a person to believe and follow Him. Wealth does not make it easier for you to trust God. It does not make it easier for you to be a Christian. It makes it harder. It makes it even impossible. Poverty is a trial. Poverty puts your test to the faith, but wealth is a far greater test. For while poverty can cause you to flee to Christ as your only hope, wealth can make you think you're okay without Him. Wealth can make you think that, well, it might be nice to have God in your corner when, when things get tough. You, you've got this. You can, you can make it through. Wealth can blind you to the true state of your need. Given the wealth we all possess, this is something we need to hear. Wealth is dangerous. And Zacchaeus had it in spades. So Zacchaeus has these two strikes against him. He is a tax collector, a chief tax collector. So he is a thief and a traitor, and he is rich. And so he is insulated from the true nature of his condition. I think we are meant to see Zacchaeus as a picture of what it means to be lost, a picture of the one that Jesus comes to seek. The one who is lost is a traitor. He is separated from God. A a traitor against God's people cut off from fellowship with the king because he has sided with the enemy. And he is a thief who has broken all true relationship with his neighbors because he has sought to use them for his own advantage instead of giving himself for their good. He is one cut off from true and and right relationship with both God and man. But he is insulated from the true nature of his condition by all the fleeting pleasures and diversions of this life. This is what it means to be lost. And what we must see is that this is all of us. We are all like Zacchaeus. We are all traitors. Sin has been called cosmic treason against the king. When we sin, we, we thumb our nose in God's face. We are like the people of, of Psalm 2, shaking our fists, saying, we will not be ruled by you. We have sided with the enemy and decided to, to make our living in the enemy's camp by the enemy's rules. And siding with the enemy, we have made ourselves thieves. We have made ourselves those who are, who are willing to use others for our benefit rather than to give ourselves away in the service of others. This is what it means to be a sinner. This is what it means to be 
lost. And Jesus says, these are the very ones I came to seek. I came to seek the lost. What does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is seeking the lost? Because when you read the story, at least at first glance, it appears that Zacchaeus is the one doing all the seeking. Notice that Zacchaeus is, is clearly restless. He is, he is clearly dissatisfied. He is, he is disturbed. We see this in verse 3. Luke tells us that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Why? Why did Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? Why did he want to find out more about this strange rabbi who happened to be traveling through his town on the way to Jerusalem? <clears throat> now, it's possible that it was nothing more than vain curiosity. We are told a few chapters later that Herod had heard of Jesus' miracles and he wanted to see him so that he could see one of these miracles firsthand. So it's, it's possible that Zacchaeus is driven by nothing more than vain curiosity. But that doesn't seem to be the case. There seems to be something more going on here. Just, just think of the joy that Zacchaeus experiences when Jesus invites himself over to his house. That, that joy suggests that his seeking is more earnest, that his, his seeking is something more than vain curiosity. Think about it. What do you, what do you do when you're curious about something? What do you do when you don't know the answer? You, you take out your phone and, and you ask Google, right? That's what I do. You know, the other day I was having a discussion with someone, uh, with someone and it wasn't terribly important, but we were wondering, when did they stop using copper to make pennies? Or I can remember another conversation where I was wondering, what is Bitcoin? Have you heard about this lately? What is this? I have no idea. Or I was having a conversation with my brother and we were asking, what's the difference between Stromboli and Calzone? You know, how do you know? What's the difference? Well, what do you do when you have a question like that? You, you pull out your phone, you ask Google, and more often than not, you find the answer. But rarely does finding the answer to such questions bring you joy. It, it satisfies your curiosity. It, it tells you what you want to know, but it doesn't bring you joy. Joy comes from a more serious kind of search. And so the joy that Zacchaeus experiences tells us that, that his search is, is somehow more serious. He, he's looking for something more substantial. Well, what is it that Zacchaeus is searching for? Maybe even he doesn't know. He doesn't know exactly what he's looking for, but he knows he's looking for something. He's, he's looking for something that his wealth and his power have not afforded him. He is dissatisfied. He is discontent. He is, he is disturbed. His wealth has given him everything he ever wanted, but it wasn't what he wanted. He doesn't know what he's looking for, but he knows that he has not found it. And so he is seeking. He's, he's not just restless. He is, he is searching. He, he is on a mission to find what he doesn't have. His, his discontent has, has driven him up into a tree. Read with me again, beginning at verse 3. We, we see it there. He says, He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small of stature. He was a wee little man, as all our children like to, to sing. And so what did he do? He, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So just imagine the scene. Zacchaeus, he's in the crowd. He, he can't see. And so he runs down to get ahead of the crowd to find the right position. And then he climbs up into a tree that he might see Jesus when he passes by. 
Now, no doubt you've heard it said that it would have been exceedingly uncommon in that day for a man of Zacchaeus's stature to run. Running is just not what men like Zacchaeus did. This is what makes the running of the father so powerful in the parable of the prodigal son. When we, when we see the father running to meet the son, it is a, it is a powerful picture of God's love for those who are lost because fathers don't run. Men like Zacchaeus don't run. And yet here we see Zacchaeus running on ahead of the crowd, running to position himself to get the best view possible. That's humbling enough, but Zacchaeus doesn't stop there. He goes a step further. Not only does he run on ahead, but when he gets to his spot, he climbs a tree. When was the last time you were in a tree? If you're young, if you're a kid, you might have been in a tree just this weekend. But, but as you get older, you stop climbing trees. And certainly in Zacchaeus' day, respected men in the community did not climb tree. That's the things of little boys. And yet such was Zacchaeus' desperation. Such was his desperation to see Jesus that he was willing to run on ahead and climb a tree. Such self-humiliation is telling. It is telling that Zacchaeus is, is no longer willing to abide his discontent. He is, he is no longer willing to simply feel restless. He is ready to search. He is ready to seek, even if it costs him dearly. The question is, why? Why is Zacchaeus seeking? Why is, is Zacchaeus willing to, to bear the humiliation of climbing a tree in order to find what he does not have? The truth is, people will often abide their dissatisfaction. They will, they will often just simply live with their discontent. The, the cost of searching seems too high. It's, it's ironic that we're unwilling to let go of what doesn't satisfy to go search for something better, but it's true. We, we cling to our gilded toys of dust. We, we camp by our broken cisterns and we are unwilling to move on. We are unmoving to go in search of something better because the costs seem too high. But by running and climbing, Zacchaeus shows us that that is no longer him. He is no longer willing to abide his discontent. He is ready to go searching. But how did he get to that point? How did he get to this point where he was ready? How does this rich, powerful tax collector get to the point where he's ready to to run and climb a tree to see Jesus? And I want to suggest to you that it is only because Jesus has been seeking him. Yes, it looks like Zacchaeus is doing all the seeking, but it is actually Jesus who has been seeking him. Look again at verse 5. We're told that when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now ask yourself, how did Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? It's possible that he had simply overheard the crowds as they mocked Zacchaeus for being up in the tree. That's, that's possible, but doesn't it seem like there's more going on here? I want to suggest to you that Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name because he has a divine appointment to meet him. And I think that is confirmed by what Jesus says to him. After calling him by name, he, he looks at him and he says, I must stay at your house Today, why must? In what sense must Jesus stay at Zacchaeus' house? If you think about how that word is used elsewhere in the gospel, when Jesus says that something must happen, 
It is often because it is part of God's plan. It's because of the, 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 the work that God is doing. Jesus said, I must preach the good news. And therefore, I must move on to the next town. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests because that is God's plan. He said, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow. They cannot arrest me yet because my hour has not come. It's not yet God's plan. He says again that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation because that is how He is going to do His work. When Jesus says something must happen, He means that it is God's plan, that it is what God has foreordained, that this is what God is doing. And God has foreordained, He has established an appointment between Jesus and Zacchaeus. When He says that He must stay at Zacchaeus' house, He is saying that this is God's plan. And I think this shows us that God has been seeking Zacchaeus. He has sent Jesus on a mission to seek and to save the lost. And the evidence of His seeking is Zacchaeus' restless dissatisfaction. Why is, is, is Zacchaeus restless? Why is he dissatisfied? Why is he disturbed? Only by God's grace. By God's grace, his wealth has left him empty. By God's grace, his dissatisfaction has outgrown his pride. It was God's grace that drove him into that tree that he might meet Jesus. We tend to think of God's grace as that which fills us, as that which satisfies us. But don't you see that it is often God's grace that leaves us empty, that leaves us wanting, that leaves us restless, that leaves us disturbed. It is God's grace that the best this world has to offer is not enough. It is God's grace that you cannot find what you are looking for. It is God's grace that you are not satisfied. It is God's grace that prods you to seek Him. Because it is in His grace that He is seeking you. And if that is where you are this morning, if you, if you are a seeker this morning, if, if maybe for the first time you are, you are looking for that which will satisfy, or maybe after too long away you are looking to return to the One who satisfies your soul, then I have good news for you. I have good news for you, and the good news is this, that the one who is seeking you, the one who has disturbed you, the one who is prodding you, He is one who came not only to seek you, but He came to save. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And this is really our final point. Jesus came to save. But what does that mean? Look again at verse 5. We're told that when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Don't miss the, the significance of this. Jesus intends to, to stay at Zacchaeus' house. He, he, he intends to dine at his table. If that doesn't strike you as significant, just notice the crowd's reaction in verse 7. When the crowd sees Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house, they all grumble and they complain, saying, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Why were they so disturbed? Why were they so upset? They're upset because Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house and Jesus eating at his table is Jesus restoring Zacchaeus to full fellowship with the people of God. 
is taking the traitor, he is taking the thief, and he is seating him at the table. He is restoring him to fellowship. And I want to suggest to you that that is a picture of what it means to be saved. To be saved is to be restored to full fellowship with God. It is to be restored to that relationship for which we were created. A fellowship that is represented by this table that we are about to come to in just a few moments. Here we have table fellowship with the Lord. We who are traitors, we who are thieves, we are seated at His table to feast with the King. It's what Paul describes in Romans chapter 5, that we, having been justified by faith, now have peace with God. And notice that when Zacchaeus is restored to full fellowship with God, that fellowship begins to overflow in his relationship with his neighbors. Verse 8 We're told that Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now at this point, people often get caught up with the fact that Zacchaeus devotes only half his goods. And and they, they know that that's somewhat less than what Jesus required of the rich young ruler. But if you get sidetracked by that discussion, you are missing the point. The point is that Zacchaeus now sees his wealth as a stewardship to be used to the glory of God and the good of his neighbor. Rather than taking the wealth of others to to supply his own needs, he now gives out of his own wealth to supply the needs of others. What could possibly account for such a change? Only His restored relationship with God through Christ. Jesus has set Him free from the need to to cling to His wealth, from the need to to cling to His gilded toys of dust. He He has set Him free by fully satisfying His needs through fellowship with the Father. Jesus has given Him that which is far surpassing in value so that He is now able to give whatever value He has to the needs of others. Zacchaeus is not devoting his wealth in order to earn God's favor, but rather he is giving his wealth, he is devoting it to help the poor as an expression of the freedom that he now has in Christ. Because he has found rest in Christ, it is now his delight, it is now his his happiness to use what is at his disposal to serve others. Again, think about it. By setting him free from selfish ambition, Jesus has set him free from the selfishness that leads to misery. His newfound generosity is not a burden, but it is a gift. It is the the gift of of restored relationship. It is the, the gift of the joy of salvation. We don't consider it a great sacrifice when a person spends his money to buy what he believes will bring him joy. Well, if you believe that, believe this, that a disciple has no greater joy than serving his master by serving others. You could spend your money in no more selfish way than by giving it away. This is what John Piper means by, by Christian hedonism. He says, listen, we're not against our joy, we're not against our satisfaction, but God has opened our eyes to see that our joy and our satisfaction are no longer found in selfishness. But rather, our joy and our satisfaction are now found in service. This is what Zacchaeus 
has discovered. He has, he has discovered that, that he is going to give his wealth away. And this helps him to not only give away his wealth, but it helps him to restore the wrongs that he has done. Notice what Zacchaeus says. He says, I will restore fourfold whatever I have stolen. He is assuming the most severe penalty of the law. He's not just going to pay back double. He is going to pay back fourfold. He is going to more than put right the damage that he has done. He will take the penalty upon himself that others might be set free of the burdens of his sins. This is what Zacchaeus is doing. This is the the freedom that Zacchaeus has has found in Christ. And I tell you that all this is the result of, of his newfound faith, of his newfound salvation because of what Jesus says. Notice what Jesus says. He, when he sees Zacchaeus' pledge, he, he looks to the crowd and he says, Today salvation has come to this house. Since this one too is a child of Abraham. What does that mean? He's not saying simply that Zacchaeus is a Jew. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that he is an ethnic descendant of, of Abraham. But what is he saying? That today this one has become a child of Abraham. Today, this one has come to share in Abraham's faith. Today, this one has begun to walk in the footsteps of Abraham's trust in God, of his his recognition that his good is found in him and not in the treasures and pleasures of this earth. Today, salvation has come to this house. Today, Zacchaeus has found his salvation in Christ and been restored to full fellowship with the Father. And through that fellowship with the Father is now being restored to fellowship with his neighbors. But how can Jesus do all this? How can Jesus just restore a traitor and a thief to full fellowship with the Father? The news of late has been filled with story after story after story of of sexual misconduct. Men in powerful places using their power to, to use and abuse the women who report to them. I'm sure you've heard the stories. And I would suggest to you that there is no one who thinks that Miramax or NBC or or CBS or Fox would be good to simply restore the offenders to fellowship. No one thinks that it would be good for them to simply forgive and forget. That would not be virtuous. How then is it that that Jesus can simply restore a traitor and a thief to full fellowship? That's the, the question that the crowds are asking. That's why they're grumbling and complaining. Jesus, how can you do such a thing? But we find our answer in verse 1. Look there with me. Remember the context. What are we told? He entered Jericho and was passing through. Passing through. On his way where? On his way to Jerusalem. On his way to Jerusalem that he might be betrayed. That he might be arrested. That he might be beaten. That he might be condemned. That he might be crucified, that he might lay down his life. Why? As the ransom for many. God doesn't just forgive and forget. He doesn't just pretend it never happened. He pays the debt in full. He who knew no sin becomes sin for us. He drinks the cup of God's wrath in full that we might come to the table and drink the cup of His Blessing. It's not that just that it's not that God just simply overlooks 
but that He puts our sin to death in the body of our Savior. He becomes a curse for us that we might be redeemed from the curse and instead know the blessing. That is what Christmas is all about. Why did Jesus come? He came to die. He was born that He might die. Why? That the lost might be saved. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to to bring them back into full fellowship with Himself and thereby bring them back to full fellowship with one another. He came to restore us to that for which we were created. Not simply by waving a magic wand, but by laying down His life as the ransom for many. And because Jesus came to die, that is why His birth was hailed as good news of great joy for all people. That is why we call it gospel. That's why we call it good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we do rejoice in Your gospel. We rejoice that Your Son came to seek and to save the lost, even at the cost of His own life. Father God, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to receive this gospel, to rest in it. And to know its joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.